Welcome to Citizen Science, stories of science we can do together. Coming to you from SciStarter's virtual world headquarters. This month, we're going to the dogs with some canine-based science projects you can do with your best friend. We already know a great deal about our animal pets. For example, if you were suddenly a fraction of the size of your cat or dog, they would kill you, but in different ways. Your cat would bat you around the room for a while, eat you, and then find the most valuable textile in your home on which to barf up your hair. Your dog, on the other hand, would either drown you in affectionate slobber or crush you by eagerly fetching your pickup truck-sized slippers and dropping them on your head. It would then howl inconsolably for days until its new owner held up a tennis ball. This we know, and yet, there's still so much to learn. In this podcast episode, we focus on dogs. Do different dog breeds really have different temperaments? What traits correspond to the best service dogs? And what can disorders common in dogs tell us about human health? Answering these questions requires help from you, the citizen scientist, and projects like CBARC, short for Canine Behavioral Assessment and Research Questionnaire. James Serple directs the project. Hi, Dr. Serple. Thanks for being with us. Good to be here. So um, this is such a cool project and very uh, relatable, I think, for a lot of folks. What are you hoping to get from CBARC? What are the goals of the project? Well, the original goals were to um, try and get a, a decent estimate of how common uh, behavior problems were in the dog population, the sort of the pet dog population. Mm-hmm. And um, really the only way to do that is is through, you know, an online type of survey uh, and, ho- and hope for large numbers of people to complete it. And um, our results have kind of exceeded our expectations in the sense that a, a lot of people have shown an interest in this. It's not... It takes about 10 or 15 minutes of, of a person's time to fill in the survey. At the end of it, they get a little chart um, on our website that shows uh, shows them where their dog is relative to other dogs in the population in terms of mm-hmm. uh, 14 uh, different uh, behavioral problems or areas of problems uh, that are common in dogs. Okay. And... Um, but more to the point, what, what it, all of this is contributing to is this massive database. Um, so we now have nearly 80,000 records um, for dogs from all over the world. Uh, we've even got to the point of being able to do like comparisons between breeds, between males and females, between neutered and unneutered. We've been able to look at uh, some of the environmental factors that contribute to the development of behavior problems in dogs. Um, The whole thing's taken on a life of its own, and it's become an enormously valuable scientific resource now, this database. And um, frankly, the more dogs we have in it, the better it is. Uh, There's no limit to the numbers, you know, we can can use. We we want Mm -hmm. more dogs, Um, especially if you have a rare breed of dog or an unusual breed of dog. We need those more than the, the more common breeds because we have, for example, many thousands of Labradors and many thousands of French Bulldogs, but um, we have very few of some breeds just because they're a bit unusual. So if, if a person has an unusual dog breed, we'd really be thrilled if they would 
go online and complete the sea bark. And, um, hmm. and, and like I say, the more the merrier. We can't get enough. We've now, I think the sea bark's already been used, or sea bark data has been used in about 130 published scientific studies. So wow. it's, it's generated this huge amount of interest and huge amount of scientific output. Hmm. Is there anything that stands out, anything uh, as far as um, the scientific results that either surprised you or was, um, you know, especially interesting? Um, yes. I mean, a lot of things, actually, almost <laughs> everything. <laughs> but one of the more interesting things that emerged recently is the relationship between genetics and behavior in dogs. And that's become really interesting. There's been uh, one study that showed a very um, high level of what they call heritability um, in these behavioral traits when you compare different breeds. And um, that strongly reinforces the notion that these different breeds have very different lineages that relate to the different uses dogs were you know the different the different uses that dogs acquired during their history. Mm -hmm. um, so we have like a herding breeds all share certain behavioral characteristics in common, and uh, retrieving breeds are similar. That type of thing. It's, it's really interesting. Huh. Well, that's funny. I thought you were going to say the opposite because that there was that science paper where what recently where they stressed that a lot of things weren't that heritable, that basically it was, it was temperament within breeds uh, varied as much as temperament from breed to breed. At least that's the way it was, it was in the media. It was, it was stressed. Yeah, and, and to, some, to some degree that's true in the sense that there's a lot of variation within breeds. Um, but uh, when you look at these groups of related breeds, um, it turns out that they share a lot of behavioral traits in common. And, um, and you can trace these lineages back through time uh, to sort of the sort of the real sort of ancestral types of dogs that we use for different purposes. Oh, okay. So it's more the, yeah, it's the purpose more than the exact breed. So retrievers yeah. versus, oh, well, this particular Labrador versus this Irish setter or, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so how do people get involved? They go, they can go into SciStarter and um, and follow the links to um, the CBARC website. Mm -hmm. Everything's pretty much self-explanatory. They just have to, you know, create a little profile for themselves, just a username and a, a password, mm -hmm. and um, then they get taken to a a page that asks them various things about their dog, so its name, its age, its breed, this kind of thing. Um, and um, a bit of its history. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they get taken to this behavioral survey, which consists of 100 questions that just ask them to describe how their dog responds to different things in its environment. And that could be something like, you know, how it responds when a doorbell rings in the house mm -hmm. or how it responds when it sees a cat running in front of it or something like that. Uh -huh. And uh, the owner then uh, complete there are series the, the questions are all designed as little sort of five point rating scales so you mm -hmm. say from the dog you know never shows the behavior to the dog always shows the behavior or almost always shows the behavior or something like that uh -huh. um and then um they once they've completed the, sur the survey they 
they finish and then they can go and look at the, the dog's scores, uh, which are represented as a little kind of chart. Uh-huh, like a Myers-Briggs? Uh, kind of like a Myers-Briggs. <laughs> a little chart that shows um, it's color-coded, so it shows their own dog scores, It show, and it shows the average scores for dogs of the same breed and also uh, the average scores for dogs in general. Huh. And uh, if their dog is sort of very far from the average, <clears throat> it might be color-coded as red or green, depending on whether it's much less than average or much more than average. Mm -hmm. So they get a sense of, you know, how their dog is doing relative to other dogs in the population. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, do you have any new projects uh, coming out or any new um, questionnaires or anything else? Or is this good? Are you just going to continue with this pretty much as it is? We've been developing a new uh, survey specifically for working dogs, um, detection dogs, uh, mm -hmm. dogs that are used to, you know, sniff things out. Uh, and it could be search and rescue dogs or dogs that find wildlife or dogs that detect um, explosives, that kind of thing. Um, that's um, based on the original CBARC, but it has some new uh, components, some new dimensions that are sort of particularly relevant to those types of working dogs. Mm -hmm. um, we have studies that are looking at um, other working dogs like guide dogs and service dogs uh, that are going on. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, I know this shows about dogs, but we also have one for cats. Oh, and wow. we're okay. doing, doing more and more for cats. Okay. You know, we always feel cats get left behind a bit. Is that see meow? <laughs> <laughs> it's called a it's called a fee bark, short for feline behavioral assessment. Oh, because it would be hard to get meow into a acronym that would, yeah, right. that would work. <laughs> <laughs> for the working dogs, are you um, trying to get certain categories? The way you were looking for um, unusual breeds, like do you want you know truffle sniffing dogs or you know things that might be out of the ordinary, or is it mostly guide dogs, uh, maybe cancer-sniffing dogs and explosives or, or, or something like that? Well, it would certainly be interesting, for example, to be able to relate a dog's scores to its actual performance, sort of how successful mm -hmm. it is as a working dog. So some of the dogs that are trained are you know, super duper doing what they've been asked to do. Others are okay mm -hmm. and others aren't so good. And it would be really nice to be able to uh, look at the dog's scores on the CBARC and see whether you can predict from those scores which dogs are going to do best at a particular type of task. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you found that a, a truffle hound has certain traits which, you know, distinguish it from a dog that's used to for search and rescue work, for example. In mm -hmm. other words, it has a different type of personality or a different set of traits. That would be really useful to know because it would help users of truffle hounds or users of search and rescue dogs to select for the best kind of dogs for that, that specific working role. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us and uh, good luck with the research. Thank you. My pleasure. Detailed questionnaires like CBARC are a great way to study behavioral differences and similarities in dogs, but combining that data with genetic information is even more powerful. That's what Darwin's ARC is all about. Researcher Kathleen Morrill is a graduate student at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School in Worcester, Massachusetts, and a scientist at Darwin's ARC. 
She and her colleagues also published a study on canine behavior in the journal Science. Hey, Kathleen, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, yeah. So um, could you tell us a little bit about your canine research, you know, before we get specifically into Darwin's Ark? What sort of things are you, um, are you studying? Yeah, so I'm a PhD student at uh, UMass Chan Medical School in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. And my dissertation is all about um, behavioral disorders in pet dogs, um, such as compulsive disorders, and differences in behavior across dogs, and what we can find in their DNA that might explain some of these differences. Oh, okay, all right. And um, and I know, and not to diminish the importance of pet health, but I guess dogs have a lot of the same issues regarding this as, as humans do, right? Yeah, both us and our dogs, we have a lot in common in terms of our health and importantly, our genomes too. So the Mm -hmm. entire collection of our DNA and the genome, both our genome and dog genomes hold a lot of mysteries that scientists haven't solved yet that explain a lot of the differences um, in our health outcomes, in the allergies we develop, in the behaviors that we struggle with. Huh. And now how does the contribution from, you know, from non-scientists help with this? So we took a perspective where we want to know from the owner's viewpoint what their dog is like. They're kind of the constant observers of their dog's behavior. So they're kind of the perfect source of information for um, learning more about the dog's day-to-day life, not just one-time visit in the clinic, but what are they like every week? Um, What are the things that you know, trigger them or cause them stress. And the owner's going to be most intimately familiar with those details about the dog's life. So our citizen scientists, they, yeah, they, they kind of hold all that information. So we want to know from them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, is it skewed or do you worry? Because I know some people, you know, say, oh, my dog's not aggressive. He's just loyal and, uh, you know, lively. And then someone says, no, it's a vicious dog. He chases, you know, the mail carrier might have a different opinion of the dog than the owner. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our dogs are our babies in a sense too. Uh-huh. So we expect that kind of bias to influence the degree people rate their dog on questions. But our hope is that across um, dogs and when we're surveying thousands and thousands of people, we can work out kind of the directionality of a dog's behavior, even if they're uh-huh. underrating them to uh-huh. some degree across dogs. Our study is a population-wide study. So we're working out the noise in the data from the bias using informatics. Okay. And you're also collecting genetic information too? Yes. Yes. So for a lot of dogs, we collect saliva swabs. Um, owners can also help donate and fund their dog's own genome sequencing and will return information like their ancestry. And that helps us perform genome-wide association studies. So trying to find differences in the DNA that explain differences in behavior or in allergies or in health. Okay, so how does that work? So there's like a free version and then there's a, a medium version and then there's a super donor yeah, version? Yeah, so there are kind of like three levels. The first level uh, tier is the free version. Um, if you answer all the survey questions about your dog, you'll be put on the wait list for a DNA swab. Uh, that we send you to your house and you'll swab your dog's saliva and we'll bank that and sequence it on kind of a grant funded basis. So as we get more funding in, we'll sequence more dogs. um, And that's kind of just in a priority list as people fill out surveys. Um, It can take a while because of the grant funding aspect. The second tier is the donation tier where you donate to fund your dogs on sample. And if you've answered all the survey questions, that 
funding should only be $99. It's at cost. So that will put your dog in the next sequencing batch for certain, and you'll receive a saliva swab just as usual. Um, and basically the same outcome as the free level kit. It's low coverage DNA sequencing where we take a pass at the genome and um, ascertain the genetic markers on the scale of millions of markers um, compared to commercial tests that test somewhere between 10,000 and 200,000 hmm. um, because we need that level of information for discovery. The third tier, which is kind of like the big time tier is our trailblazer kit where we're doing what we call 30X whole genome coverage of a dog which is kind of like the gold standard um, in human genomics, getting a whole genome um, usually costs on the scale of $1,000. I forget exactly what the level uh, cost of the kit is for the Trailblazer kit on our website, but it gives basically the most high depth information about your dog's genome. We'll send you a package in the uh, mail with a kind of a, a booklet explaining all about your dog from that. And that information is actually super valuable from a research um, perspective. And it kind of drives the canine genomics field forward more because it covers the highest level of detail about a dog's uh, DNA. That's amazing because it hasn't been that long, at least it doesn't seem to me, that the first whole human genome was done at, you know, I guess a cost of many millions or billion dollars or whatever. And, and so is this similar to that when, when you sequence an entire individual animal? It's kind of similar to that. So it's not, an, it's not what we call an assembly de novo, which is um, reassembling a species genome from scratch, which is what the Human Genome Project did. Or when um, there are projects actually to sequence new species from scratch that have never been sequenced before, that's a bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. um, because we already have the dog genome assembled, we can take your dog's information and map it to that genome and we know a little bit already. Oh. It's really hard to do a genome from scratch and it takes a lot of upfront investment. So it's what makes your dog unique among other dogs as opposed to what makes your dog genetically yes. unique among all living things. Yes, <laughs> among all living things. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> Finding out how the, the chromosomes are assembled. So what are you finding with personalities of dogs versus their breeds? What, what are the connections? It's, it's very much a complicated relationship. It's not all or nothing. Like we like to think that dog breeds are this perfect constellation of personality traits that um, if you get a dog breed, you'll predict um, precisely how well they'll fall out on how friendly they are with other dogs, how friendly they are with people, um, what kind of behavioral disorders they might experience. But we found the relationships a lot more subtle than that um, for a lot of what we think of as personality traits in dogs. Breed doesn't predict a lot. For certain breeds, it predicts a great deal for one type of personality trait. So uh, a lot of livestock guardian breeds, they're a lot more, you know, chill, they'll lay around, we see that. But for other aspects of their personality, breed doesn't tell us a lot. And we've kind of uncovered the more subtle details of that relationship between breed and behavior in our recent study uh, published to Science. Hmm. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean that genetics doesn't play a role in personality. Yeah. It's just, right? So we can try to decouple that, actually. Um, thanks to a lot of the mixed breed dogs enrolled in our study, there's this aspect to breed that isn't just a genetic ancestry type of aspect, but also just, you know, a, people who get breeds like that breed, they might train their breed in a certain way. And by looking at mixed breed dogs who have, might have ancestry from those breeds, but it might not be perceivable to the owner that adopts them, 
um, you start to kind of peel away those layers of social expectations and training based on breed to get at what's the real genetic relationship between breed and behavior. And are there other aspects of the genome that influence behavior apart from breed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other aspect is we saw that size wasn't as impactful on behavior as we would have thought as well. So um, when you account for breed and when you account for ancestry, um, size's impact on behavior is pretty minimal, which was surprising to us too, because we'd expect that to influence the dog's environment a lot, maybe more so than breed in some cases, but we didn't quite see that. Huh. Is there anything, um, you know, you're working on now or you're looking forward to the future that, you know, you want to highlight or talk about where, where's this sort of going now? Yeah. So our initial focus was to find genes that are involved in behavioral disorders like compulsive behavior or separation anxiety in companion dogs. And we've since expanded into studying the behavior and performance of working dogs too. So if your dog has a job, um, be it a guide dog, scent detection dog, even just a therapy dog, we want to know about it. Um, we also expanded to studying food allergies in dogs because food allergies in dogs present somewhat differently than they do in people. Um, it's not usually an anaphylactic shock response, but usually it's kind of dermatologic, like skin problems that come about with food allergies. And owners are usually pretty familiar with what kind of foods trigger their dogs. And we've just launched a new portal on uh, cancer in dogs, and we'll be trialing an environmental sampling study, basically a small silicone tag that gets attached to your dog's collar and passively collects chemicals from their local environment. And that's something that we'll be launching fairly soon. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Well, is there anything else you want to share about the project or anything I haven't asked you about? Yeah. I mean, those are the things that we like seek out to study. What we find most interesting are the how the data that the citizen scientists provide us that um, they lead to interesting questions and surprising things about dogs too. So our big study on behavior in dog breeds and in mutts is one example of that. So we knew that we had to look at the relationship between a dog's breed and their behavior, um, but we didn't anticipate how complicated that relationship would be and how many rabbit holes we'd end up going down in analyzing this data. So for many of the analyses that we included in that article, we didn't wanna just consider what the geneticists would be interested in knowing, but we also wanted to consider what our citizen scientists and the general public might wanna ask. And I think that's really important for projects like ours to consider what's valued by the people contributing data to our research. Um, and doubly so when it involves dogs, because we want to do what's best by the dogs as well. Huh. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's re really interesting. And I assume you need more volunteers. So uh, always, we'll always that. recruiting, <laughs> always recruiting. Great. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. If you'd like to learn more about canine citizen science, join SciStarter for a webinar on the topic on Tuesday, August 23rd at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Daylight Time. That's August 23rd, 2022. There's a link to the webinar right on the info page of this podcast. And if you're listening to this after August 23rd, don't worry, you can still go to the webpage and watch the recorded webinar in its entirety. By the way, the very next Friday, August 26th, is National Dog Day, and you want to be all ready for that. It's also International Dog Day for all you German Shepherds, French Poodles, and others out there. Well, that's all we've got for you this time. I'm Bob Hershon. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you each month by SciStarter, where you will find thousands of citizen science projects, events, and tools. 
It's all at SciStarter.org. That's S-C-I-S-T-A-R-T-E-R dot org. SciStarter's founder is Darlene Cavalier. And thanks so much to you, the listener and the citizen scientist, for getting involved and making a difference. If you have any ideas that you want to share with us or any things you want to hear on this podcast, just get in touch with us at info at SciStarter.org. Once again, our email address is info at SciStarter.org. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.